but we know that there is a pile of money that's kind of sitting there for customers to take back just by modernizing their infrastructure. However, again, as I stated in the beginning, it sounds a lot easier than it really is when you start digging into all of the things that need to be done to get from point A to point B. Hey, John, welcome to the business line. How are you doing, bud? Good. How's everything, Brian? Everything's good. You having me on today. Ah, absolutely. We're super excited to learn more about you and learn about what you're doing. A little bit of background stuff, a little bit of, you know, coming up and, and seeing what's going on. You know, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Can't complain. Can't yeah. complain. And even if I could complain, right? You know, uh, you everybody's got right? the problem. Keep right? that whining. So. Keep that whining to somebody else, right? Exactly. Right. My football coach used to always say, the only person that cares is your mom and she's not here. So, <laughs> Well, absolutely. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so um, have you been able to avoid all the sickness that's going around lately? You Everybody's know, I, down I, with something. I, 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 I have, Brian. Uh, I, I have, right? Uh, I think uh, I got hit with COVID a little bit at the uh, end of the summer, the beginning of the spring. But 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 since then, right? Uh You've been knock solid. on some wood. Everything's been pretty, pretty good. Nice, nice. And some of that my way. You know, when you I got young kids and when they're in school, they always bring home a new present every week. Right. You know. So yeah. anyway, we'll it, get away it, from it that. Christmas but. every day, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, John, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, uh, tell us about a little bit about what you're doing. We're, I want to spend definitely some time talking about uh, Pinnacle and the awesome stuff you guys are doing, but I want to learn about you first. I want to learn about some of your history. How'd you get to uh, to to be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh, Brian. So I've I've been in the technology sector for you know 20, 25 plus years. You know, back in uh, you know I have to kind of go back to the mid '90s, right? You know. Uh, Right, little thing called bandwidth, right? Exponentially growing on a daily <laughs> basis. Uh, I'm a big believer in supply and demand. I figured uh, this is a great industry to kind of get into. Um, and ever since then, right, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the world of technology for a good part of my career. I um, I, I worked for large global providers. Uh, spent uh, a, a relatively decent amount of time at Verizon. Okay. Um, after my stint at Verizon, uh, I went uh, to a company that was called CenturyLink. Kind of reiterated. Familiar with those team, guys. Right? Yeah. yeah, Lumen, Lumen now. A uh, couple acquisitions, a couple rebrandings. Um, uh, and, you know, during my time uh, with both providers, right, especially at Lumen, I uh, <clears throat> ran large global sales teams. Um, um, space was really kind of in that uh, large enterprise global market, right? You know, uh, working on a lot of technology solutions, right? Up the up the proverbial stack, so to, so to speak. And probably about a year and a half ago, um, had an opportunity to kind of go to uh, a smaller MSP uh, that was experiencing some rapid su success and some growth. Uh, a company named Think Forward. Give, give a shout out to the folks at uh, Think at, Forward, at, okay. at, at Think Forward, a tremendous MSP. Um, but uh, you know, probably I'd say uh, about five five months ago, I, I received a call from a gentleman I used to work really closely with at uh, CenturyLink um, and obviously Lumen. Uh, he was a director of our advanced services. Did a lot with uh, cloud modernization, 
right? Cloud migrations um, and ran the gambit, right? From uh, Google Cloud to Azure to AWS uh, while I worked with them. And we worked on a lot of big projects. But you know the way big corporate America works, right? You know, there's a lot of change, right? People go off and do different things. Um, so Rajiv Kamal is his name, went off okay. and uh, went to uh, AWS, right? Um, and uh, was spending a good amount of time at AWS, made a lot of friends there, a lot of connections. Uh, and then I got a call uh, from Rajiv uh, again several months ago saying, hey, uh, me and a couple of partners of mine are are working on um working on a product right you know using aiml uh they were all uh in the uh you know aiml division of aws um okay. working on you know different projects you know with uh natural language processing and convolutional neural networks again running the whole gamut um working special projects for customers and you know one thing Right, from a business problem statement, right? One thing that I've seen for years and years and years, and they really experienced over at AWS, is that you know folks, uh, you know, have been on a digital transformation, moving to cloud compute, right, mm -hmm. for for years now, right? Uh, one of the business problems is cost, right? Uh, you know, I've never heard anybody say, "I'm glad I went to AWS or Azure or Google because I'm saving a ton of money." Right. No. Quite just... honestly, right? Uh, most folks think that they're outsourcing their their infrastructure by going to the cloud. Uh, and reasonable reasonable thought is, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save money," right? But when they get to the hyperscalers, what happens is. Uh, uh, right, they're hit with all these charges. They're hit with egress charges. Right, there's mm -hmm. all of these hidden fees, um, uh, and, and there's a little bit of sticker shock. Right, the problem is that once you kind of go to the cloud providers, uh, you're stuck there. Once you do your migrations, it's almost I use the analogy. Uh, right, it's almost like yeah, I want to go on a vacation. Uh, right, you know, I'm off to a cruise ship. I think I'm think I got a great price for my vacation. I get on the ship and the next thing you know, all of the fine print, right? They charge me to get in my room. They charge me to get out of my room. Right? Every time yeah. you key in, every time you key out, every time you, yeah. they're, they're tracking it and they're trying, that's AWS right there. Yeah, right on, right. Yeah, right on, right. <laughs> the problem is that you're on the boat, you're middle of the ocean, yeah. right? And you're there. Right. Where are you going to go? Yeah. One of, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, most people, treat their cloud environments much like they treat their physical data centers, right? Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, I'm in a physical data center. I want to spin up a workload or an application. I go out and I buy a server. Or I have a server. I physically rack and stack it, right? In a cloud environment, I want to run a workload, right? So I'm not, I'm not plugging in a physical server. I'm spinning up a virtual server, right? Mm -hmm. I, I need data, right? I need database. I need storage. Same thing like in your physical data center, right? Uh, <clears throat> the problem is that the hyperscalers have been modernizing their environment for, for, for years now, right? Mm -hmm. The traditional uh, server-based environment, right, is, right is, 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 is a little bit of a, a legacy way of doing things. Sure. Most yeah. of the hyperscalers have gone to serverless environments, right? Uh, 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 an ephemeral uh, 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 compute scenario, right? Run a certain workload, drop the workload, um, right? We call it function as a service. Right. Uh, yep. 
considerable cost savings, right? Because I'm not paying for that infrastructure, right? The challenge is that once I'm in that server-based environment, even though I'm within the same hyperscaler ecosystem, making that migration to modernize your cloud infrastructure is not easy. AWS, for example, has over 200 products and services. They have over 400 icons that represent different product services, features, functions, right? So right from the start, it's, it's a complex environment, mm-hmm. right? The cloud today, with all of the SaaS providers, APIs, all of the different products, all of the different services, right? It, uh, it, it takes a lot of resource, a lot of uh, investigation, right? Just to figure out what products and services I should be using in the cloud mm-hmm. that uh, are most efficient to run my workload. I get the best performance and I get the optimal pricing points, right? Where I can actually control my costs. Even if I figure out the right products and services, I, I still need to know, right? What's my cost going to be tomorrow once I migrate to that serverless environment? It's almost like, you know, right? You don't want to replicate the same problem. Customers saying, I'm in a traditional data center. I want to migrate to the cloud. And then there's sticker shock after the fact, right? So, so anytime somebody's, right, thinking about changing their infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, uh, you know, is there a little bit of gun shyness, right? You know, mm-hmm. I kind of, kind of got bit once by the unknown, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so there's, there's the ROI piece of that. I had the right products and services. I know what my costs are going to be, at least from a budgetary perspective. Well, I still have to visualize this. I still have to, right? I, I still have to diagram how these products and services work together. Right. So I have an understanding of what that workload looks like traversing across my infrastructure. So I got three major problems that I got a hurdle before I can migrate, but I'm not done yet because I still have to write the Terraform code to be able to implement, right? Mm-hmm. Any changes that I want to make sure. to my infrastructure. Yep. yep. Even when I write my Terraform code, I still need the best practices from an implementation guidelines perspective, right? What's the instruction manual? What are the best practices for actually doing this migration from a server-based infrastructure to a more modernized, right, function-as-a-service type of serverless architecture? Right, right. And then finally, uh, Brian, you know, for all of the years that I've been in this business, one uh, one thing that I've learned the people on the technology side of the fence generally speak a different language than the people at the CX level, right? Uh, of course. Right, that are running the yeah. business, right? Yep. So, so there's obviously, there's often a divide. People are speaking, right? They're speaking different languages to one, to one another. So interestingly enough, when I got a call from Rajiv and some of the other folks that were looking to start Pinnacle AI, uh, they were taking their experiences, obviously, in cloud migrations, cloud modernization, aligning that with their experiences in generative AI and working with foundation models. And really what they've done, done is, you know, kind of right, created uh, a solution 
that actually applies artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to cloud modernization, right? And they're hence born, uh, uh, right, our, our flagship product, which we call Com AI, Cost Optimization, Modernization, Advisory, and Implementation. Hmm. Uh, so really, the idea is we built a transformer, right? We uh, ingest right? All of a customer's cloud reports, again, whether they're from AWS, whether they're from Azure or, or, or Google Cloud, we run those reports, we run that data through the transformer, and the machine, right, then has a recommendation engine that recommends the right products and services based on the utilization the utilization patterns and based on the services that you're running on the cloud, takes into account all of the non-functional business requirements. What SLAs do I need? Am I in a retail environment? I need to be PCI compliant. Am I a healthcare organization? And do I need to be HIPAA compliant, mm. right? Do I work with the government? Do I need to be mm -hmm. FedRAMP compliant, right? So it takes those non-functional business requirements and then generates, make recommendations on what products and services I should use does the ROI cost analysis, this is what I'm spending today, this is what your budgetary costs will be tomorrow, writes the Terraform code, creates the diagrams, right, the architectural diagrams, develops the implementation guidelines based on best practices for products or service migration, right, either into the cloud uh, or within the cloud, and then finally generates a, what we call a CXO report uh, that essentially breaks down that divide in communication between the technology folks and the business leaders, right? Mm. Essentially takes the products and services and then applies, right, business logic to why these products and services have been recommended, what the cost savings are, what the diagram looks like. So that was really the kind of the impetus. Traditionally, Brian, Cloud costs have been a problem, right? Escalating out of control cloud costs. And the way that the industry has kind of attacked that problem has been through what we call FinOps, right? Now, yeah, FinOps, yeah. right, is very valuable. There's no question about that. But FinOps has limitations because in a FinOps environment, really what you're doing is right-sizing your cloud environment. I have 10 instances, and the reality is that I only need eight. Uh, great. Yeah. I eliminate two. I save some money. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a different way that I can extract some files if I'm querying some information so I can limit my my egress charges. Right. But you're always going to have data leaks. Right. You know, you're always going to be extracting right in, in a relational database. Uh, right. You're always going to be extracting more information than you, you know, than you necessarily need, which is going to cause increases, obviously, in those egress charges. So <clears throat> while FinOps is a, is a good strategy for right, understanding what your cloud utilization is and containing it at the margin, the real cost savings right, is really in the modernization, right? being able to take advantage of some of the features and functionality that the providers are offering in a serverless-based environment right? And not having to pay for that infrastructure, even when you're not using it, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of noticed that 
over the years, if people have not modernized, companies have not modernized their cloud environment in the past 18 to 24 months, the hyperscalers are so far advanced in what they're doing to modernize their, their, their offerings. Right off the bat, you probably can save 20 to 30% at a minimum, right? Now, again, case by case basis, right? But we know that there is a pile of money that's kind of sitting there for customers to take back just by modernizing their infrastructure. However, again, as I stated in the beginning, it sounds a lot easier than it really is when you start digging into all of the things that need to be done to get from point A to point B. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're a relatively small company and we've got we're constantly doing that on a smaller scale and it still takes time, energy and effort that we, I don't always have, you know, available, whether it's myself, my business partners or our team, uh, but it it's got to be done, right? So, it sounds like if I go back to your beginning of your story a little bit, uh, your business partner that gave you a call, he spoke one language and he knew you spoke a little bit different of a language. So tell me about yeah, that phone bit. call when it came because this this story isn't isn't that much di different than myself and my business partner Manisha's story and how we kind of got linked up. Because, I mean, I didn't know anything about what he was doing. He, he spoke a little bit of a different language, both literally being Hindi and, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, professionally being in kind of healthcare information services. So anyway, tell me about that conversation that he called you up. It was like, Hey, John, got a great idea. I need you to sell it. What was, what was that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, it's interesting because right when I got a call from Rajiv, um, and we started, you know, again, just talking about, right. When we worked together in the past and, you know, you were still at the end, were you still with the MSP? At this time, I was still with the MSP. That Were you doing correct. sales, kind of with them, yeah, kind of helping them grow? Awesome. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. No, okay. No, 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 no question. About your, it. Don't I, let know. me forget about that. I want to talk about that a little bit too down the road. But okay, back to the phone call. Sorry. A absolutely right. So when when Rajiv had given me a call, uh, obviously time spent uh, catching, you know, catch catching up and and talking about again some of the problems and the challenges right that we've seen uh in uh you know with corporate users of, of of hyperscaler services right for some time you know rajiv started telling me a little bit about the work that he was doing at uh aws um and uh you know they he had already started that the product was already well into development uh you know and and the, you know high level conversation sort of went you know hey look we're we're a bunch of really smart guys, right? We're, we're, we're data scientists, we're, you know, AI engineers, um, but um, we're, we're not salespeople, right? So- All the while uh, he's pitching you on this idea, right. <laughs> right? He's trying to sell it to you. Yeah, but didn't have to pitch too hard because again, it's, you know a, it's he's a, a smart guy, yeah. Yeah, you know, Brian, look, I'm a firm believer, right? You know, and this is right, like from a technology standpoint, right, even working, with um, even working right, you know, within the large service providers, you know, the goal is always to kind of go out and find the business problem and then bring technological solutions to the mm -hmm. table on how to solve that business problem, right? So when Rajiv had given me a call, he was laying a business problem out that, that again, quite honestly, right, is no secret to anybody, especially anybody in the industry, and has gone unsolved, right? Not completely unchecked, but unsolved, right? Uh, for a long time. So, um, you know, it was a great opportunity. 
right? To, you know, to be a part of something, be a part of the development, uh, be a part, right, of the go-to-market, mm-hmm. uh, not just with Com AI, but the larger picture, which is really the premise of Pinnacle AI, it's really to use artificial intelligence, machine learning, generative AI, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, apply that to, apply that technology to business problems, right? Uh, where we can... Uh, work with our customers really focused on modernizing, uh, uh, optimizing business processes, systems, and services, right? We do a lot in the natural language processing uh, area as well, um, where we're, again, using foundation models to do things like agent assists, right? Document writing. Again, it still boils down to the premise where we're looking to take uh, AIML uh, technologies, right? Apply them to everyday business functions, right? To make them more efficient, make them more modernized, right? Obviously, provide a return on it, uh, pro- provide a return on investment uh, for, for companies that kind of have been struggling with menial, repetitive tasks, right? That don't necessarily produce uh, uh, repetitive outcomes, mm-hmm. right? Machines can do that, right? They can take that repetitive task. And they can produce an outcome, right, that is reliable every time the machine processes that workload. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, like, so you basically you said yes around the call. Did you have to think about it? Did, you know, what well, was your? I, I, you know, I said yes pretty, you know, pretty quickly, right? You know, um, you know, again, there's, you know, the other part to, right, you know, just where the industry is going in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, the concepts of artificial intelligence and machine learning have been around for a long time, right? You know, you can date machine learning back to the 50s, yeah. right? Uh, again, I've used this example on many occasions, right? We all remember Bobby Fischer, right? You know, he played 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 chess against a machine, right? That's yeah. machine learning. Phil Helm, you played poker against a, a, a machine, right? So... Um, uh, there's nothing, nothing new conceptually, right, to artificial intelligence, machine learning, right? You know, it's it's the data science, right, around getting predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics, so to speak, right? What's changed over the past couple of years are really two things, right? Uh, number one, right, the advent of foundation models, right? So, you know, when we look at companies like OpenAI and ChatGPT4, OpenAI, right, has been around since 2016, 17. ChatGPT4 didn't get released until November of 2022. Mm-hmm. So it seems like we've been forever in this generative AI world, but it's still it relatively, long, yeah. yeah, it's still relatively uh, young, right, from, uh, from, from a user experience and from a technology perspective as well. With regards to the foundation models, which allow us to crunch significant amounts, sizable amounts of data at one time that we weren't able to do before. The other event that's happened, right? We, we see NVIDIA, right? You know, just blew away earnings call, the, you know, the, the other day. The chip manufacturers, right, have been able to, over the past couple of years, really to kind of drop the cost of chips and improve again, right, the amount of data they can process. Mm-hmm. So we have foundation models coupled with right processing power 
that can take massive amounts of data sets, right? Crunch them and obviously generate generate output. Um, that that hasn't been available, right? You know, up until recently, right? From a technology perspective. The other thing, Brian, is that look, if you are a Fortune 100 company, you want to go to IBM, spend a hundred million dollars to run Watson. Fantastic, right? But now we're right now we're in an environment with chip costs coming down, with foundation models, right? With uh, some of the developments in prompt engineering and retrieval augmented generation, that artificial intelligence is it's the great equalizer for 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 the small company, mm-hmm. right? The small company can do things today. Right, can automate and can do things intelligent, intelligently automate, can do things that competitors a hundred times their size, right? Are paying can hundreds do. of people to do. Absolutely. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. So, uh, right, not just Com AI from a product standpoint, but the reality of where the industry is going from a technology perspective. Um, right. It, you know, it, it uh, you know, again, as much as I love the people that I've worked with across companies, right? Not just my 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 my, my last organization that I was with. Uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, it was uh, you know really just jumping into a market that is that 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 is just at its infancy stage, right? And that's mm-hmm. pretty exciting in itself. Yep. All right, so let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, part of our business here is the MSP. I love hearing about other MSPs. Tell me about your time with this MSP. Like, you were you did you jump from an ISP kind of thing over to the MSP, or was there some stuff in between? How'd you get linked up with an MSP? Because yes, yeah, so hat. you know, you know when you're when you're in an industry for uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm you probably I'm worked with a lot of MSPs, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, decades, right? Yeah. It, pain, yeah, yeah. it pains me to say that, Brian, <laughs> right? When you're in an industry for decades and, you know, you're oh, within a marketplace, yeah. right, you know, for the same period of time, you know a lot of people, right? right. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, it, sure. it's even for the Verizons and the Central Inks of the world, right, that have vast portfolios, you, right, many times solving the business, right, being a solutions-oriented company, you still have to work with third parties, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that I've known. I've worked with uh, these gentlemen for a long time in a, in a partnership relationship. Um, you know, the service provider industry is uh, it's a tough paper route. Yeah, right? it's a t- it's a tough it's a tough paper route when you think of the Verizons and the CenturyLinks and the ATTs of the world. Um, you know they have a really interesting dynamic going on, right? That really doesn't touch a lot of other industries or companies, right? So so you got multiple, right? You know you you have multiple masters, publicly traded companies. You have fiduciary responsibilities to the shareholder. Mm-hmm. Good portion of the labor is unionized. Right. Mm. Uh, and the technology, um, right, the service provider technology network, right, managed services, NPLS, internet, connectivity, right, uh, getting back to the supply and demand, right, that's all been deflationary, right? It's all been from a, a, a revenue perspective in a deflationary mode for, again, right, the past two decades. So these companies, um, these the right like these companies i got rising labor costs right 
uh, to run global networks, right? We just look at the right cost of power and electricity, yeah, right? Yeah. I got rising operational costs, rising labor costs. I have diminishing returns of revenue based on the services that I provide. Yep. Uh, I'm really going to date myself now when I start talking about, right, a D, right, we would sell a DS3 of connectivity, right, 45 megs. Years and years and years ago, right, companies would pay $20,000 plus, right, for oh, yeah. that amount of bandwidth. When I broke right? into doing sales for an MS, a small MSP, I was working with, you know, ISPs here locally in Wisconsin. They're selling, and all they sold were T1s, and they were, you know, for a one and a half up and down T1, thousand, a couple thousand dollars each, and companies were buying bonded pairs or more and just spending right. thousands of dollars on slow speeds compared to what they are now. And they only want to pay a hundred bucks for that now. Correct. Right? Cor so. Correct. Absolutely correct. Right. And then we look at e even uh, companies that we, that offer what we refer to as a broadband type of service, whether it's symmetrical or, or asymmetrical, right? The yeah. speeds that Fios delivers, right? And and some of the cable providers are, right? I mean, you're- Like you're I'm getting a gig up and down at home. Right. And I, some of my businesses are paying $750 a month for 25 by 25 fiber. Right. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so I knew right at the end of the day that um, the service provider world, right. Um, I, eventually I would be making, right. You know, that I'd be making a, a, a move and, yeah. you know, I obviously had uh, the opportunity Right to kind of go to work for people that I knew, I liked, mm -hmm. I respected, um, uh, and obviously very grateful for the time that I, I I spent there. And you know, like I said, was not expecting right, you know, to kind of get the proverbial call right out of the blue, but it came, uh, and a tremendous opportunity had presented itself. And it's a different type of gig, and it's not an easy gig, you know. Managed yeah. IT managed and it was IT managed services, right? Right. Correct me. Okay, yeah. it's not Correct. an easy sell. Yeah. Um, and you know, different MSPs do it a little bit differently, or they've got different angles and and maybe different things that they're including. Tell me about how you went from what you were doing at, at an ISP provider to an MSP, and you know, the process of you know successfully closing deals on that side. So you have to remember the big providers are MSPs as well, right? They just do it on a They just a do lot. a different type, yeah. They just do a different yeah. type and at a lot larger scale, right? Yep. So selling the managed services and being in that managed services provider environment is something that I had, you know, right? I had been in for years and years and years and years, right? You know, it's just right it, it right they do it a little bit differently, right? Um and you know, like any big like any big company uh, where you have layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy. Um, I, I'm, and my phone is going to ring from people that I used to work with. Right. But yeah. some, right. They're going to, uh, right. Like I'm, I, I, I know I'm going to say something, right. That's going to get me in trouble here. It's okay. I do that every day. Hey, this is, this is real. Here's, here's why, here's why this interests me so much because it's, it's not, a, it's the, the business now is different than it was 10, 15 years ago. Right. You know, IT managed services has shifted to heavy managed services, all inclusive, flat rate kind of stuff. Tell me about what did you find was the was the toughest part, the biggest struggle, the biggest thing to overcome, um, and you know, getting out there and bringing in new clients for Think Forward. Well, I, you know, again, I, I look at the, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, you know, I always have I've always had a little bit different take of sales in general, mm -hmm. uh, Brian, to be honest with you, right? And I've even, you know, I've run my sales teams in the past, 
uh, look, you go out and you have conversations with people, yeah. right? You go out and you have conversations with people. Uh, and in those conversations, right, like you learn what their challenges or struggles are, right? What their priorities are, or what their objectives are, right? And then you want to come back to the table with, you know, solutions, right, or services that solve that solve those problems, right? So not so much, diff- right? I don't want to use the word diff- difficult, right? It's just having different types of conversations with folks, depending upon obviously the types of services that that you know that you're looking to that you know that you're looking to 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 evangelize Mm -hmm. so uh you know again uh i think in some cases when you come from the verizons of the world and you come from the central links of the world you know one of the challenges that they have right is adaptability and flexibility and especially in a managed services environment where you know the end user the customer needs to get you know they need quick reaction if they need to make a change to their environment, uh, if they're in a fully managed uh, 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 ecosystem, they don't right. They don't want or can't afford the seventy-two hour SLA on making that change, mm-hmm. right? That a lot of these big big providers require, just because of the bureaucracy that's in place, right? If there is an outage, right? Now, you know, customers today, this is a twenty-four by seven globally connected world, right? And uh, when you're down an hour for a lot of companies, even if it's at two o'clock in the morning, th- there's a loss of revenue associ- associated uh, with that, right? Mm-hmm. So working with companies that are a little bit more nimble, right? Can scale a little bit more quickly, right? And have a little bit greater personal connection. I'm not talking about from the rep or from an account team perspective. I'm talking about from an organization to organization, right? Where there's a little bit more of a personal connection, right? Uh, in, in many ways, is a very easy is a very easy it's a very easy conversation to to, to have. Sure. Yeah, it's about asking questions, right? Uncovering problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's certain principles that don't really change. Right, did you but, know from a young age you're going to be doing sales, or were you, when you were younger, <laughs> did you kind of get into the, some other stuff? That, and yeah, uh, you're going to get into my favorite topic now, Brian. It's yes, funny. Let's go. Let's, just, go. Right, let's, let's go. I just had this conversation. The I just had this conversation the other day. I, now I'm a little bit biased, but I'll tell you, okay. I, and, and I will tell, I, I will argue this to the cows come home. Sales is the most difficult job in the face of the earth. Right, the most difficult. And, I, and I'll tell you why, because it's the only job in the world that requires you to do things that are innately diametrically opposed to human nature, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to be told no a hundred times a day. Oh, yeah. Nobody oh, wants yeah. to be right, made to feel like they're a pain in the ass. Nobody wants to be made to feel like somehow they're a con artist, right? Or a shyster, or they're just trying to sit, right? Like these are mm-hmm. things, right, that salespeople have to deal with every 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 day, right? You know, look, when you get a phone call from a salesperson and it's in an inopportune time, right? What are the emotions that are elicited? I don't like it, yeah. right? It's like, I, I'm know, in the middle I, of something. I, I appreciate your call, bud. Got to go. Yeah, yeah but you got gotta go. Who in the right mind wants to do that, right? right. Like, who who wants to be the person that is uh, associated with 
again, being a pain in the ass, right? Being a shyster, right? Not, not being technical, right? I just want to make the sale. When children are growing up, <clears throat> look, and myself as well, right? Children, they want to be an astronaut. They want to be a fireman. They want to be a police officer. They want to be a doctor. They want to be a lawyer, right? All of those professions and beyond. They want to be a teacher, have something in common. They help people. I've never heard a seven-year-old in my life say, I want to grow up and be a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Never, right? Uh, it's just, again, it is a job that, to be honest with you, Brian, and myself included, is usually a job that people land into by default, right? Yeah. You graduate college. I don't have a degree in engineering, right? You know, I don't have a biology major, uh, right? Like, okay, what, what am I, what am I, what am I going to do? Right. Yeah. You know, uh, sales. Right. So, so is that how you, did you fall in by default? And tell I me about that. In, I, tell I me about fell that in story. by default. And then right? I'll share I, mine. Yeah. Wonder, after yeah. college. Um, the only difference I, I would say, right. And, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not saying this right because somehow I'm trying to differentiate myself. But mm. once I realized that I was in sales uh, and that, look, I didn't have the skill sets to kind of run out and and, and perform, you know, uh, open heart surgery on somebody, right? That right that I made it a point to be the best salesperson that I could be, right? To actually start treating it like a profession and understanding the psychology of sales, understanding the mathematics of sales, right? So, um, right, we're we're, we're uh, look, when you start getting into sales leadership positions, you see a lot of salespeople, you interview a lot of salespeople, and right, not everybody right has that same mindset, right? From a from a you know from from a, a salesperson's perspective. Yep. Hey, sales is. I tell this to people all the time when they come down on sales. Hey, sales is the highest paid profession in the world. Look at the leaders of every big corporation. Look at the highest earners. They're all salespeople. Um, and everybody's a salesperson. Hell, you got to sell yourself to get out of bed. It's Absolutely. all about how, what are you willing to do to get what you want, right? Or to what are you willing to do to solve a problem? Or what are you willing to do to get somebody else what they want that solves their problem, right? So, and it took me a long time too to understand that. I mean, I got out of college. I studied nonprofit administrators, saved the world by, you know, running the boys and girls clubs or something like that. And, and uh, I worked for the Boy Scouts for a number of years. I took a job with the Y doing marketing and community development. And I got fired. She got fired. I was kind of, I was too big for my britches. I, w I wouldn't listen to folks who had more experience than me in that realm, even though they may have been wrong. I, sh I should have been smarter with my people skills. There's something else I was lacking. Right? Brian, I got to give you kudos. This is the first time I ever heard anybody getting fired from a nonprofit job. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And I, and, and like, I went to school because, I mean... When I was going to school, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I thought I was, I was good at art and I was good at sports. None of those were going to pay me anything. And so I met an advisor who said, hey, we're starting this new program because I was trying to study business, but I was too ADD to sit through an accounting class. And then he said, we're starting this nonprofit business program. Do you want to get involved? So I did and I loved it because I got to help, help people, right? Got to help people. And I saw results after all these little things that I was doing. So I got the highest grades in the class, took me a little longer to graduate because I was doing shenanigans early, but I finished. And I did about my first 10 years out of, out of school, I was in nonprofit, but then I got fired. 
And I started to realize my rose-colored glasses shattered. You know, in the just like other industries, there's political things that go on in the background and boards and conflicts of interest. And I was like, this isn't what I thought it was. And I didn't want to go back that way. So my best buddy who owned who was he owned a small IT company was turning it into an MSP. And his mentor said, you got to get somebody to sell because you shouldn't be doing the selling. So I just talked to him. Hey, I got fired. I'm having a cocktail. I'm trying to drown my sorrows. And he's like, hey, you should come sell this IT service for me. I don't know anything about IT. I go, I can sell a warm and fuzzy feeling. That's fundraising, right? And he said, do a phone interview with my my mentor. Uh, And I did. And the guy told him to hire me. So I did. And that was history. But I started to realize a lot of things. And then things happened. I read books. I got around people who knew what they were doing, who had fruit on the tree. Uh, not necessarily just people who were salespeople, you know, and not really winning at it. And um, before I knew it, I that was me, you know. So, right. and then, th- and t- you know, your story, you got a phone call from your business partner now. What was his name again? R- Rajiv Kamal. Rajiv. So Manish Thakur called, like, he was, we had a, we had a, uh, uh, a mutual friend, Joe Johnson, He's Indian, but U.S. citizen, but they were friends from earlier. Joe, when I left my IT company, he said, a couple of years, I might have somebody give you a call. A friend of mine has business in India. He might want to be bringing it here. I said, okay, call me. You know, I, whatever. I left, went to a different MSP. It was, I jumped around doing a couple of different things. Really couldn't find out, figure out what I wanted to do. But I was learning. I didn't want to be an employee anymore for sure. And uh, two years to the road, Joe gave me a call. He said, you want to have lunch with my my friend Manish? And I said, sure. And it was the same kind of conversation. He was looking to solve. He had realized there was a problem that needed to be solved. His industry was dying, but he needed to change or he's, his business was going to die. So he pitched me and right. uh, and here we are, right? So very, very similar type of trajectory. Oh, I, I, listen, I, absolutely, right? You know, it's uh, amazing the twists and turns, right? You know, that life throws at you. And sometimes it's for the best and it works out and sometimes not so much, but. So if you're going to boil down your success and I know we've kind of gotten off on a sales thing, but like, I, I, I really, I think subconsciously I want to convince people that they need to get good at selling in all facets of their life. Um, and what I've learned a lot of it is the art of people understanding people, right? Right. Um, you know, there's a science of whatever you're selling, but the art of having good people skills. What, what, if you're going to advise somebody that's tr- getting into sales and they're struggling, they're spinning their wheels and, you know, they're making hundreds of calls and they're talking to hundreds of people, but they just can't get over the hump. Well, how would you, how would you, you know, you I, I, I'd say, I'd say, I'd, listen, I'd say, I'd say a couple things, right? And, and, you know, there have been many times in my career, you know, talking, you know, talking to one of my salespeople off a ledge, right? Yeah, but, yeah, for you know, sure. I've always, I've always had a, you know, a, a, a you know, kind of a couple of rules. All right, uh, break it down to simplicity. Again, um, you know, if you, um, if you're making calls, right, and every call you're making. Right. It's because oh, I got to sell somebody something. I got to sell somebody something. Right. This is right. Like, it, you know, at the end of the day. Right. Again, that that is really going to be a tough paper route. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, but if you're calling people to have conversation with them. Right. And be inquisitive. Right. Truly be inquisitive. Wanting to learn. Right. About uh, your prospect or your potential customer in ways that you may be able to help them. 
right? It kind of takes the edge off a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you're not going in, right? I'm not going into call with Brian where within 30 seconds, Brian is figuring out within five seconds that, you know, the only reason why I'm picking up the phone to call you is to sell you something, yep. right? Uh, you know, the other thing is that it's, I mean, for me personally, it's always been important to really kind of believe in what you're representing. Oh, absolutely. You have to. You have to be all in. Yeah. I, I've always asked myself, right, you know, a, a question. If I'm going out to meet a customer, uh, right, or we're looking to, you know, propose a solution or a product or a service, I ask myself a question. Would I buy Would I buy this myself? If I was sitting there, would right. I Would I? Would I buy right. it for sure? Would I buy that? And if the answer is yes, then, right, without even thinking about it, you can have conversations with passion, right? Mm-hmm. And people, people can re- re- read that, right? It, it, and again, if you're taking an interest in trying to solve a problem, right, or overcome a challenge or get a customer from point A to point B, right, uh, Right? You're, you're, you're not going in trying to sell a used car, right? Mm-hmm. To somebody you're never going to, you're never going to see again, right? You're kind of creating that relationship. Um, you know, the other thing again, right? There is, um, you know, I think there is, uh, uh, an innate, uh, 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 thought process that like, you know, if I'm working for a company, I've got to go out and I've got to go out and pitch their where I got to go out and pitch their wares. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, again, right. You know, um, pitching is for infomercials, right. You know, when you got 30 seconds, right. To kind of get your value add across right, and right. somebody's yeah, yeah. attention. Yeah. Um, there's no need again, there's no need to, you know, no need to pitch, just be a human being. Right. Be inquisitive. Right. Yep. Look to have conversations with people uh, and truly look to be inquisitive. Now, I'm not asking you a question just because, right, somebody gave me a list of questions that I have to ask. I'm asking you a question because I really I'm really curious. Right. Yep. Yep. I'm really curious how you deal with this situation. I'm really curious on how you've tried to overcome this this this, this problem. Yep. So. That's the that's a very similar approach, you know, it, that I that I like to take. I think it's almost probably the same. We just probably use different words. It's, it's really right. just going in and not looking to sell you something you don't want, need, or can't afford. But I'm right. looking to find out if there's a problem that you're having that you need solutions to, and if there might be a fit between us. If there is, awesome. If there's not, that's okay. At the worst, we've just made ourselves new friends, right? And I can point you in a great direction or vice versa, right? So that's kind you of know, you, you know, Brian, I, I can't count the amount of times that I've, right, you know, you, you, you tell people, listen, I, I, I can't solve your problem. I don't have a solution. This is what I do, right? Yeah. Yep. But if you have a need or you know somebody, right, where I can help, people appreciate honesty, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the proverbial trusted advisor comes in, right? Like if I can trust you, to do right uh, things that are in my best interest, right, and not right, not not to jam something down my throat that's not going to help, that's going to cost me money, that's going to put me in a worse position than I'm mm-hmm. already in now, right? Uh, uh, generally, things work out, 
in the long term. There's been plenty of people that have not bought off of me, right? You know, in the moment, but years later, right? Because you've continued a relationship where they've called you back and said, "Hey, mm-hmm. right, uh, right." You know, I trust. I, 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 I trust in what you're saying. Not that you're never wrong, right? But mm-hmm. I trust that your intentions are always good. To Right. You know, to, to, you know, to, to, to be of assistance. Yep. There's this, there's this principle I learned years ago is be willing to go the extra mile for somebody and serve them before you're ever looking for something in return. You might not ever give it and that's okay because you'll find it somewhere else. Right. Absolutely. So, um, it's huge. I'm all, you know, I won't always want to find out if there's not something with a fit that I can do. There might be somebody that I know that I've come across or how can I do you a favor to get you to that point? Um, Absolutely. Because they're going to remember about it. Might not ever work with me, but they're definitely having conversations about people. Hey, I met this guy the other day and learned a little bit about their company and they we weren't a fit, but I think you might be, right? Absolutely. There's, so. there's no question about that, uh, Brian, right? I mean, it's the, look, it's the right approach. And I, I don't care what industry you are, right? Industries tend to be small communities. So even from a technology perspective, mm-hmm. right? You know, the the the, the industry is small, right? You run into people. I say, though, be careful who you treat poorly because they may end up being your boss one day. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know? And here's something else I hope people pick up on from this conversation is is so many people get uh, stuck in the mud, especially in sales or in anything, especially at a young age. And they kind of, sometimes you stop three feet of gold and you quit and you move a different direction and you are almost there. Um, like you don't know, I look at your story, you don't know how in a few years from now or a few months from now, someone that you met or that you worked with in the past that saw the type of person, saw what you could do, maybe never even said something to you about it, picks up the phone and calls you and said, hey, I got this unbelievable idea about how we're going to take AI into the future and help businesses. I want you to come on board with me because I've seen what you can do and I want that with me. Right? You just don't know that. And right. so I, I like I, it's and it's hard when you're when you're in the thick of it and you're struggling with, you know, with your quotas or with your life or that to see that kind of that that possibility. But I just want to hope people are encouraged by learning and hearing your story of how like like all these kind of things shift and change and you never know where you're going to end up being. Yeah. It's funny from a, you know, from a sales management or sales leadership perspective, uh, again, when you're working for companies and large corporations, a lot of times, right. There is a lot of pressure on the results, Mm -hmm. right? What are the results? My focus has always been on the behavior, right. As opposed to the results, right. That if, uh, because again, sales is a tough sales is a tough job, right? I, I've never been a big Tony Robbins motivational guy, right? But there are some things, right? You know that you pick up, right? Uh, sure. Guy Zig Ziglar, right? Used to There's say mindsets are important. Yeah, yeah. Activity, right? behavior, yeah. Be, you know, behavior. Your motivation, a salesperson's motivation, can be directly attributed, right, or tied to their last sale, right? So yep. I haven't sold anything in a little while. Go back and look at the behaviors, the activities, right? Go back and look at the behaviors. The right behaviors always lead to the right results. And then it also, right, there's a mathematical component to sales, right? That, uh, right, in theory, if I flip a coin, I got 50% 
chance it comes up heads, 50% chance it comes up tails. So I flip that coin 10 times. It doesn't come up heads, tails, heads, tails. It doesn't. You do it enough to get the high percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with sales. At the end of the day, right, I may have the right behavior. It doesn't, right? It's It's not producing Yep. But at some point, so long as I continue to do the right things on a daily basis, uh, right, it will pay off, right? And, and you will start making set, right? You right, you will start closing deals. Um, right. You just got to ride, you got to got to ride through the storms. It's always the people. Ironically, Brian, I'm sure you work with a lot of folks like this uh, in the past. I've worked with a lot of really good salespeople that have gone through periods, right, where they've struggled, right? Bad luck, right? Whatever the case may be, right? The right, the, the, the customers that they have or the prospects, economic conditions, internal, mm-hmm. external factors. Uh, and I've also worked with really bad people that you look and they're, they're going to President's Club. Yeah. Right? <laughs> just because they ended up with the right accounts or they're just yeah. in the right time at the right place. But those situations don't, Right, don't last for eternity. Right, again, the 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 biggest. Right, if, if I could give any advice to somebody looking to go into sales, discipline, right, is probably one of the biggest. Uh, right, is, is probably one of the biggest things that you need to bring to, bring to the table. The discipline to do things right, even if they're not paying results immediately, to continue to do them. Right, so. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap that up and put a bow in it and and tell everybody. I agree. Beautiful. Absolutely, you got to be disciplined. It's one of the hardest things to do. And another thing is one of, one of the things I'd add to it is have a doesn't matter mindset, right? Because that's right. how you get over the nose. No, I don't want any. Okay, that's fine. Doesn't matter. I'm moving on. Next. Not personal. Who's next? Not personal. Yep. It's not that I don't like you. Right. I'm busy. I got something going on. I can't afford whatever. But okay, next. Who's next? Who's right. next? Who's next? Because there's someone out there. Cool. What are some of the hobbies you have? What do you like to do? Do you follow sports? Do you get out on the outside? What what are you what are you doing for fun when you're not when you're not selling? If you look over my shoulder, right, you'll I see, see a lot of a lot of pictures of of, of horse races, right? So, so outside of te- outside of technology, right? Um, right, my, my you know I have a I have a passion for horses and horse racing. So it's, you know, so I, I I you know I do own some thoroughbreds. Um, really, and. Uh, that's right. cool. Love, love the, love the sport. Right. So a guy named Marty came on and he was, he followed horse racing. I don't think he owned any horses, but what's it like owning a thoroughbred? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. Right. I, I, I would say that, you know, it, it's, uh, there's no greater feeling, right. L- literally there's no greater feeling in the world, right. When your horse hits the top of the stretch and uh, you realize, you know, in that moment, that horse has an opportunity to win. Uh, you know, a, a gentleman who got me into the sport years and years and years ago, um, you know, asked me, he's like, oh, why, why do you want to be involved, right? Uh, oh, you know, look, my, my, my athletic prime is well past. Right? <laughs> I can't at Come this on, point. really? Well, Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, listen, I know my boyish uh, appearance here is probably th- throwing you for a little bit of loop, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't hit a 98 mile an hour fastball, Fair right? I, I can't dunk on a 10 foot rim, right? Like there's no way 
uh, that at 57 years of age and 280 pounds that I'm running a 4440. Right. You right? Get that, but you, you probably still have a competitive edge, right? Right. But yeah. you can put a horse in a winter circle. I got to tell you something too, right? That um, these are the greatest athletes known to mankind, right? Um, hey, God, it, made, God made them like that for a reason. When you have a horse that's game, right? Um First of all, the intelligence—the uh, intelligence factor on these uh, creatures are uh, off off the charts, right? And uh, when it's race day, you know uh, that horse knows uh, these horses are right. They're born to run, uh, right? There, there is an instinctual right. You know, horse game horse wants to be a leader, right? Wants to lead the pack, right? Um, but. They don't run for money, right? They don't run for, uh, right? You know, they 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 don't run uh, for endorsements, right? You know, or the pride, next <laughs> pride or sneaker, right? They're right. they're they're not running for the next contract, right? Like they and and, and contrary to what some people think, they're not running because they get whipped either, right? right. You can't yeah. make an eleven hundred pound animal do anything that it doesn't want to do, right? right? Yep. Uh, they run because they want to win. They yeah. want to cross the finish line, right? Before, right? Before the, the, the second horse, right? Uh, uh, you know, com comes, comes by and, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be around these animals, to watch them compete, um, and, uh, right. Yeah. Compete with heart. So that's. So how'd you, how'd you, were you, did you always just like the, the, were you a fan of the sport and then you got into actually having horses and training or? Yeah. So, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, that's another interesting story. I, uh, you know, I've always been, um, you know, always been, you know, when I was little, you know, uncle would, you know, take me to Monmouth Park, right, okay. uh, in New Jersey. And, you know, my grandfather, my father, they liked, uh, my uncle liked the thoroughbreds. My father liked the the trotters and the pacers, right? You know, so you'd go to the track here and there. You know, had an affinity, coupled that with, you know, some points in my life of poor, borderline compulsive, uh, you know, uh, gambling uh, <laughs> habit, right? <laughs> you, 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 Right. Well, that's another. You know, that's a, another show, John. Yeah, we'll cover that in a, another that's show. A, that's a, that's another show, right? But um, year again, years ago when I was at Verizon, right? I, I worked with uh, a gentleman um, whose family was in the business, and I, I got to right like anything else, got to give a lot of credit where you know credits sure. due. And uh, he was you know third generation horseman, right? He was working in Verizon for me, but his father was a tra was a trainer right his father's father was a trainer his sister actually is one of my trainers even today um you know uh and we would talk and you know i would be asking questions and you know came to me and said hey there's an opportunity right would you like to you know would you like to you know would you like to go in and buy a horse with me right and then the worst thing possibly could have freaking happened brian that horse ran out of the TV screen, won by the length of the stretch, right? The first time out, right? And then won again and then won again. And I'm sitting here thinking like, like I can do this. why isn't everybody doing this? This is right. This is the easiest business in the world, right? You know, uh, reality finally hit me. 
But uh, the the truth of the matter is that um, uh, you know maybe if uh, you know maybe maybe if I was into a horse and right you know I could outrun it right uh, my passion or enthusiasm right for for the for the sport wouldn't be there but that's not how it turned out so wow uh, that's neat you know horses are amazing creatures you can wrap this up on this my uh, my daughter who's gonna be three uh, on Easter this year on the 31st just down syndrome and when she was about a year and a half we got linked up with a local program that does like horse horse riding and training and stuff like that um and but they also do kind of therapeutic so uh in our in our program that we're part of for birth to three to kind of help her with therapies they said hey yeah. let's try this and and we got her up on a horse with a with a trainer and she wasn't scared she like connected with it and this horse and i'm and i'm walking foot from this horse and i'm thinking okay you got my my little person up there you better be careful and i'm looking at this horse in the eye looking at me and it's an older very calm horse all white beautiful horse and you it, it's the weirdest thing with a horse when you are close to one they're such magnificent beasts you can see you can see like all their muscles kind of tensing yeah. and moving and it's just innately you you know they're impressive and you know you got to respect them and the, the historical connection between man and horse and all this. And I, when I was a teenager, my girlfriend was raising a horse. She lived on a farm. I remember the first time I went out there and I was standing next to her and this horse was a male and he did not like me. Like he knew what I was all about. And he right. was like snorting at me and like making sure that I wasn't standing too close. But anyway, uh, but this therapy program, we had to stop it for a little while because of some, some, I, I can't even remember why, but the, 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 the program had to move in a different direction, but they called us back. And so I think in about a week or so, she gets to start doing it again. And it's just something that's really cool that I think is super beneficial for her when it comes to being able to connect with something outside of her normal kind of social structure. And it's pretty cool. You know, they're majestic animals, right? And you, you see, there's all sorts of programs, right? Especially for veterans and PT, PTSD, right? You know, again, there's... Uh, you know, again, the level of intelligence, right? That you know that that um, that these animals have are, are right are they're off the charts when you talk about you know looking a horse in an eye, right? Like it's almost right. You feel like they're looking hard. into your soul, like they're judging right. your existence, like oh yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's almost there is uh, right. There's a uh, there's there's a connection. There's a connection that 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 takes place. It's hard. It's hard to describe especially for right you know to people who have not been around horses in any in any capacity yeah. right whether it be you know whether it be racing or whether it be trail riding or whether it be you know any of the other equestrian sports like jumping right uh, or dressage um you know they're just absolutely magnificent animals cool so cool to hear uh, the perspective that you have on that and and the way it's kind of become a part of your life so awesome thanks for sharing yeah. that john brian yeah you had me on here talking about my three favorite topics right yes that's Technolo my goal technology sales and horses right i just spent the best hour right that uh you know that i've had in a long time i really appreciate it so do you do are you getting on a lot of podcasts to kind of promote or what how are you getting around so, yeah shows? you know we're we're, we're uh, you know here look here's a thing right you know uh everybody wants to talk about artificial intelligence right you know so uh, right you yeah. know if you could have a little conversation about the technology itself 
uh, where it's going, where it's come from, right? You know, the risk associated with it. Uh, yeah, people want people want to talk to you, right? Yep. So, um, you know, it's definitely been uh, an interesting ride. And like I said, which is, you know, fine for me. I, I could have this conversation another three hours, right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. There's a lot we didn't get a chance to get into, but like I tell everybody, because I've, I've yet to have a conversation with someone on this show where I don't think I made a good friend and learned a lot. Um, I hope to have you back sometime because I think there's a ton uh, listen, more. Brian, I'd, lo- I'd love to come back. And, and look, yeah, here's the thing, right? You know, you work with MSPs, you have some businesses. All right, let, let's, uh, one of the things people can do, right, our, our product, Comma AI, in terms of cloud modernization, yeah. right, we built out full demos, right, that are actually production demos. Well, I'll take you through it. Let me, right, you know. Absolutely. That, uh, might, let, that let, might be cool. Let, let's be show cool. you what we built. Right. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool, Matt. Remember that. Let's circle back around to that one of these days. That'd be I'd be I think that'd be a real really neat thing, kind of a different format for a show. Absolutely, no no doubt about it. I'll bring uh, I'll bring some of my partners on. Right, that would and be we'll, cool. Uh, we'll 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 show you and your audience. Right, you know what uh, what we what we what we can do with generative AI. 